Hi, my name is Leah Hinkfoot, and the Old Testament reading is found in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Samuela. The New Testament reading is found in 1 John 4, verses 7 to 10. Dear friends, let's love each other, because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love doesn't know, does not know God, because God is love. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent his only son into the world so that we can live through him. This is love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Micah Messward. Please stand for the gospel reading found in John three sixteen through 18. For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned. The one who does not believe has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. The gospel of the Lord. Once in a while, people say, you know what, would you just talk about this, or would you just show me where I can go to think about some of these issues, wrestle with these issues? And so it's been really helpful for me to hear some of your questions um, about different things. Some of them are specific to the church. Some of them have been uh, bigger cultural issues. Last week, I, I checked the podcast, and I owe you an apology, because I spoke for 50 minutes last week, like almost an hour. I am so sorry. So I'm, I'm going to try to make it up to you this week and give you some time back. Um, but one of the questions that came in, and this is a great way to start, is how do I know when to stand firm? And so here's how the question came. My question is how to reconcile the scriptures that tell us not to be divisive and not to get involved in senseless arguments, but with those that emphasize the importance of truth and sound doctrine. How can I discern whether what I'm standing firm, quote unquote, on, is a truth worth risking division over, or whether it is something I'm being spiritually prideful about and should just agree to disagree? That's a good question, isn't it? And if you spend any time scrolling your Facebook news feed, there's probably a lot of us that think, man, can we just stop it? Because you're not going to persuade anybody with your clever videos or long rants or whatever, right? And so it, 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 this is, and I'm, I'm, a, a brief, I'm cutting short the question here to basically say, what things do we say, you know what, let's take a generous approach we agree to disagree. We're not going to see eye to eye. Someone asked me about Calvinism versus Arminianism. I said, I'm not going to solve that in one Sunday morning. Okay, what, what issues do we hold with an open hand? And what, what issues do we say, you know what, this is where I can't go. I can't go there. This is what it means to stand firm. Let me say a couple things really briefly. First of all, the scriptures are not as strong about us needing to take a stand 
in the world for Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes I think the things we think we're doing in Jesus' name is really just drawing a battle line for a culture war that we've never been called to. And so a lot of things when we say, well, I got to go do this and I got to go say this, and really what you're doing is you're speaking out against a cultural tide that you're nervous about. And that has very little to do with actually holding fast to the faith. Uh, one of the things I said as we started our series on 1 Corinthians is that Paul opens up by saying, to the church in Corinth. And so his strongest words, in, including his rebukes, come to those who are already of the faith. In other words, we speak to one another with our clearest and strongest words, and we speak to the world with our kindest words. Does that make sense? We don't yell at the darkness. But secondly, even among Christians, how do we sort this out? Well, one of the reasons we, uh, from time to time, will say the Nicene Creed is because the creed forms for us the core of Christian faith. Now, does the Nicene Creed cover everything there is? No, but it covers quite a bit. And in, in the early centuries, you had Christians wrestling over key issues like the Trinity, like the divinity and humanity of Jesus, like uh, uh, salvation and final judgment. And so when you, when you read through each section of the creed, you'll notice that it moves from a stanza about God the Father to several stanzas about God the Son to one about the Holy Spirit and then one about the scriptures, and then one about our hope. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. The creed is this rope that connects us back to the first Christians, but it also is a dividing line. There are things in the creed, for example, to put it bluntly, that a Mormon could not affirm. There are things in a creed that other uh, um, uh, groups that we would say, well, that's not a Christian group, they would not affirm that. Conversely, there, everything in the creed is what would be held on tightly to by every Christian in every denomination, Eastern Orthodox Church, Catholic Church, Protestant churches, non-denominational churches. So one of the reasons we have the creed as our statement of faith at New Life Church as a whole is to remind us that, look, this is the central, this is the thing we hold with a closed hand and other things that we can say, you know, there's room for Christian disagreement. But there's one, there's one more kind of visual that might be helpful too, and I referenced this last week. There's a line in the creed that says, he has spoken through the prophets. That's a way of saying we hold the word of God to be authoritative. Now, does that mean we're all going to read the Bible and come to the same conclusions about certain things? No. We might disagree about healing. We might disagree about baptism. When do you do it? Do you do it for babies? Do you do it for believers? We might disagree about how to think about uh, the last days. But do you know, there's a difference when, we're when we have our disagreement while standing under the authority of Scripture versus having a disagreement that says, well, I'm not sure if I take these words to be authoritative. Does that make sense? And so you will find that on many, 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 many issues, there is room for Christian disagreement because we're all standing under Scripture trying to make sense of it in the most responsible ways, cultural, exegetical, tools, all of this stuff. We're trying, to, we're trying to take this word seriously. And then there's a kind of disagreement that happens because one group says, well, that may be what Paul says, but we know better. Or that may be what scholars believe about the text, but we are more progressive than that. Does that make sense? Now, that is not just a disagreement about uh, an interpretation of Scripture. That's a disagreement over a posture towards Scripture. Does that make sense? Now, does that mean you need to be nasty to that person? No. It just means that that, that might be a plumb line for you to say, you know what? 
We have a different kind of disagreement. I'm not sure what this is going to mean long term, but this is a different kind of disagreement. Okay. A couple questions came in about uh, New Life Downtown, and I think probably as it connects to New Life Church, related to the gifts of the Spirit. And if I were to sum it up, the question basically says, are we still a charismatic church? (laughs) I love that. Glenn, you're an Anglican and all. What does this mean, right? While we talk about the Holy Spirit in church frequently and we're still committed to a full gospel tradition that not only presents the gospel clearly, but also encourages believers to receive empowering baptism in the Holy Spirit, if so, how is that played out in a practical way? One of the first things I want to say to you is that we are... We, we have changed some of our language at New Life Church as a whole. So if you've been around for, at New Life for a while, you'll, you'll notice, hey, how come we don't say this particular phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How come we don't say that phrase as much? Part of the reason for that is because that phrase can be confusing. It can lead people into thinking that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second experience to receive something you don't have. Okay? And there are some Christians that tend to talk about it with that kind of an angle to say, well, okay, you got Jesus, but have you got the Holy Spirit? And to be clear, when you are born again, you are born again because you have received the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who makes you new on the inside, who regenerates you. Now, does that mean that you're walking in everything that the Spirit wants to do and, 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 and move in in your life? No, not necessarily. In the same way that if I said to you, hey, I've got the keys to a brand new Ferrari, you're like, whoa, I'm listening, you know, and then, and then you, you go out and you drive on streets where the speed limit is 30 miles an hour. You're like, man, what a bummer. I mean, I've got it. I mean, the engine is there. I just can't use it. And then somehow, someday, you know, you're, you know, we adopt the Autobahn rules or whatever, and you get to ride, drive this thing wide open, and you're like, now I see what we have. That's an imperfect analogy, but there's something like that going on, where you say, wait a minute, are you saying that when I said yes to Jesus, I received the Spirit, and there is this power inside of me that can, can show up in different gifts that can do the supernatural in and through me? Yes. Yes, it's powerful. Now, so the phrase that we use now, and I'll show it on the screen, is... Do you embrace the ongoing infilling of the Holy Spirit as God's empowering presence in your life? That last phrase comes from the New Testament scholar Gordon Fee, um, uh, who, who is within the Assembly's tradition, but a really renowned New Testament scholar. His book on the Spirit is called God's Empowering Presence. And the ongoing infilling, the reason for that phrase is because of Paul's language in Ephesians, where he says, Be filled with the Spirit. It's this ongoing, continuous thing. Go on being filled. One of the misleading things about the event of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is sometimes we think, okay, that's another box to check. So prayed the prayer, check. Got the water thing, check. Got the Spirit thing, someone prayed for me, check. Right? Instead of saying the Holy Spirit is a daily, ongoing It's God with us every day. It's God's empowering presence with us. Every day I want to wake up and say, fill me again, Holy Spirit. Empower me to live out this life that that Jesus has called us to. Amen? Amen. Now, what does that look like? How does that show up? Can it it result in gifts? Yes. In fact, Paul, we, we, we talked about this in our Corinthians series. Paul says there's all kinds of ways this can show up. And one of the ways Paul zeroes in on is this thing he calls prophecy. But not prophecy as in, mm, it's going to rain this afternoon, you know? Like, well, you're pretty good odds, you know? But, 
But prophecy as in declaring a word that reveals Jesus. The spirit of prophecy, Revelation says, is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So to speak a word in such a way that reveals Jesus, even specifically to someone else's life. Now, I think there are all kinds of moments for that. I think every day you could wake up and say, Lord, with my friends, with my conversations today, would you inspire me in such a way to speak something that awakens their heart to see Jesus? Wouldn't that be a wonderful prayer? Lord, let me speak something to someone today that awake, opens their eyes to see Jesus today. That would be a, an amazing thing. Now, I think that many of these gifts can actually work on a Sunday morning. Some of you are like, okay, really? Is it about to get weird in here? We're going to like have open mics and all that. No, listen, too often we think that the gifts of the Spirit, oh, it must mean that we have an open mic, the, Glenn cancels the sermon, and then, wow, we just get wild in here, you know? Now, listen, there are all kinds of ways this could take place. For example, when you have the greet time, could it be that you pray, Lord, give me a little word of encouragement for someone today? God, help me to spot someone who's downcast. Help me to discern the spirits this morning. Help me to see something and just give him a little encouragement during the greet time. Maybe when we, when we do the prayer moment each week, we didn't th- this morning, but when we do the prayer moment, to be able to say, okay, during this prayer, God, guide me as I pray, Holy Spirit. Maybe it is later on in the service, you're going to turn to one another and, and pass the peace to say that the peace of the Lord is with you. Maybe some other words start flowing out of you and you say, I just want to tell you, I just feel like God just delights in you today. I just want to tell you that he's with you where you are today. And, and, and maybe they respond by bursting into tears. That's the response we all want. We're like, yes, I, it landed, you know. Um, or, or it could be more subtle than that. But this can work in our groups, in our meal groups. This can work in a very natural way. It doesn't, it's not narrowly defined as speaking in tongues, Okay. Let me just say that. Sometimes you say, Holy Spirit, baptism, oh, that means you want me to, like, speak in tongues. No, no, no. You might. But it can look, in a, it can look like a variety of things. Okay? It can look like God's empowering presence with us. Final question, and this one is for all the parents in the room. How can we talk to our children about the gospel? How do we talk to our children about the gospel? How many parents in the room this morning? How many of you were thinking that that's what the children's ministry will do, is talk to your kids? No, don't raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> and that's okay. There are, there are a lot. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. There are a lot, there are a lot, of, um, a lot of us, myself included, who, who can easily fall into the mentality of, well, that's why they're going to class, or that's why they're going here. Someone else will do this for them. But our philosophy here at New Life Downtown is for our children's ministry to partner with parents to disciple your children, to cultivate things in your children. We, we don't do it. We want to partner with you in doing that. And so this morning, I just want to offer just a couple of thoughts. This is not, this is not an exhaustive list, but just a couple of thoughts with a few funny stories about how some of these conversations have come up in our home, okay? Sophia and Nora, did they run out of here? They did. I, I asked them permission to share these stories, so I think they're okay with this. One of the, one of the occasions you can use is when they recognize that something is wrong with the world. Okay, so several years ago, maybe three or four years ago, when Sophia was probably five or six and Nora was like four, we were watching this Planet Earth documentary thing, you know, and there was this deer that was running through the African Serengeti, and, the, you know, the, the uh, cheetah or leopard or whatever is chasing it, and you're, there's this ominous music, and the narrator saying, the poor antelope has been separated from the herd, <laughs> and the agile cheetah makes its approach. And the music's... 
And Nora, bless her, just said, Dad, you got to pray that the cheetah doesn't get the deer. <laughs> and before I could answer that this was a pre-recorded show and prayer doesn't quite work that way, Sophia goes, Nora, sometimes prayer doesn't work. <laughs> Is there a book for these conversations? And so, so we began to talk. Okay, so let's talk about how sometimes not everything is well in this world. That's an occasion that can get us into the conversation. Other moments are, are moments when the world is beautiful. You know, once um, Sophie and I were running errands and we went to the grocery store and, you know, we got in the stuff and we're in the car. I'm thinking, let's just get home and get dinner and then bedtime going. Can I get an amen, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, Sophie goes, Dad, who made all of this? I said, well, what do you mean? You know all of this. I was like, you mean, I'm thinking, oh, it's a chance to talk about intelligent design. So you mean the mountains and the trees? She goes, no, like the roads and the buildings and grocery stores. It's like, ah. But that's an opportunity into saying, well, see, there's, people did that, but God made the people and God kind of wants us to do these things to help take care of one another and his world but I'm having that battle in my mind of like, can we just drive home and get dinner and bedtime going, right? Okay, so that's, that's one occasion. There are other occasions when you read a story that reminds you of the gospel. Uh, it's one of my favorite things when the kids actually do sit down still for like two minutes and you can read and you finish a story and you're like, man, that was a beautiful story. And that reminds me of this other story. There's this book that I just read to Jonas. Uh, it's The Little Raccoon's Big Question. You know, and he says, Mommy, when do you love me? Is it when I jump? And is it when I... Sw-? She's like, no, nope, that's not when. And he goes through all these things that he can do really well. And she says, no, that's not when I love you the most. And he's really confused. And he says, he's finally tired. He says, Mommy, is it now? Is it now? And she says, yes, it's always now. The moment that I love you is always now. Now, that's a little abstract because kids playing with time and the right now moments of time. I mean, I'm not sure that four-year-olds get that, but it's a story that helps you think, you know, God loves you even in this moment, not when you're doing your best, not when you're performing, not when you're listening. Not, God loves you right here in this moment. There are stories that remind you of the story. And then finally, this one is maybe a bit too close to home. It's opportunities when you can identify with your own need for grace. I mean, I can't tell just the other night, just a few nights ago, I was getting a little worked up at bedtime, as sometimes happens, you know? So you're like, why won't you stay in your bed? You don't need another drink of water, and you don't need to go potty again, and no, your leg is not hurting! <laughs> you know, like, just stop! <laughs> and so I'm trying to, like, calm myself down, and so I'm like, my kids, Dad, Dad just doesn't really want to get angry It'd be much better if you just would listen right away. And, and Nora just tells it like it is, says, well, then don't get angry. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, uh, that's true. And, and in that moment, I had the choice to be defensive or to take the low road. And fortunately, I was raised by parents who always took the low road. And so I said, you know what, honey, you're right. You know what? Just like you're struggling with listening, I struggle with listening to God too. Like, I'm not doing it. We all need God's grace. And we had a little, short little talk about it. But these are these little inroads into the story. So, to close it up, kids of all ages, 
This is one way to tell the story. In the beginning, God. God who is somehow three in one. We don't get it. God made this world. God made this world because he's so full of love. And he made this world on purpose. He meant to do it. And he looked at everything and he called it good. And he made humans and he put them in charge of this world. And humans said, no, I kind of want to do it my way. And as a result, God's beautiful world began to break apart. Humans and God, their friendship began to break apart. Humans' friendship with each other, that began to break apart. They were mean to each other. Wars, fighting. And then God started a plan, launched a plan. Wow, that really launched, didn't it? (laughs) God launched a plan to put his world back together. God chose a family. The guy's name was Abraham. And through this family, God started a nation that that would be the first movement of God's plan to put the world back together again. But do you know, this family, they weren't a perfect family, just like your family. They were messy. Lots of crazy stuff between moms and dads and parents and kids, just a messy family. But God didn't give up on this family. Through this family, God sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus came and took on himself all of our mess, All of the stuff that we do wrong, all of the stuff that we do to make the world come apart even more. Jesus took it on himself and died on the cross. And God raised Jesus from the dead three days later so that we can know God is beginning to put his world back together again. And the miracle of the gospel is that God starts by putting you back together again. God starts by putting your heart back together again. God starts by putting you back in friendship with him. So as the worship team comes, if you would, just take a moment. If you're, if you're here with your children, this would be a great time to turn and just chat with them and say, hey, what do you think about that? Do you want God to start his work of putting things back together in your own heart? You want to say yes to Jesus? My suspicion is there'll be many yeses in our life. There need not be this one moment, just like the Holy Spirit thing. Oh, there was this one event. Sometimes there is. But other times, it's just an ongoing yes, that following Jesus is this ongoing yes. And maybe this is a great occasion for parents to turn to your kids and to say, hey, want to say yes to this Jesus who's putting the world back together again? This Jesus who wants to start by putting your heart back together again? Today is your day. This could be your moment. And if you're here and you're not with your kid or you're not with any kids, you're just here by yourself, This is why we do confession every week. Do we ever grow up out of beyond grace? No. Do we ever outgrow our need to say, Jesus, would you put me back together again? No. All of us. Children of all ages, we come to our Heavenly Father and we say, I want to say yes to you today. I want to say no to my own running away. It's my own running away that made the world come apart. It's my own turning away that made my heart come apart. Jesus, I want to say yes to you so you can put me back together again as part of your plan to put it all back together again.